Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, our softball season came to a disappointing conclusion last night. Our one and only playoff game, which you were not in attendance for, we fell by a final of 17 to 12. Now, we did score 12 runs, and it was a pretty close game by our standards, considering we had not won a game all season. But I think part of that could have been due to the fact that the opposing team batted only left-handed for the first couple innings of that game. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe it was due to that. But again, we, we did score 12 runs. It's kind of unbelievable that our softball team was so bad mm-hmm. that people remembered how bad we were and then decided to bat solely left-handed yeah. for the first, what, two, three innings of the game? It was a couple of innings, and then we actually had a lead in like the third inning, and that's when they said, oh, man, we got to... Maybe we should start batting up. Yeah. in the correct batter's box. But it was funny because they were coming up to the plate, and they were all batting left-handed, and we're thinking, boy, this team is really just loaded with lefties, and we didn't think anything of it, and then... Uh, one you, of didn't, the, wait, hold, you didn't think anything we just thought, of well, every single player batting left-handed. We just thought, you know. All of them. Not, uh, there was maybe a couple that were like. Isn't like 10% weaker. of the population left-handed? Yeah, but there were, but a, a outnumbered, there are more baseball players. There's a higher percentage of lefties in baseball than there are lefties in the population. Well, right, because that gives you an inherent exactly. advantage. So I thought the same thing for softball, perhaps. Perhaps there are more lefties in softball than there are lefties in baseball. Gives you an advantage. I think you're giving anyway, our Volo Softball League a lot of credit. I, I was thinking, boy, it's strange, but I didn't think there was anything afoot until somebody reached first, and I said... Maybe there is something afoot. Uh, yeah, and I made a comment about them having a lot of lefties, and she said something like, yeah, well, everybody was trying it. I hadn't tried batting lefty in a while, so I thought, you know, might as oh, well. Oh, that's tough. And I thought, oh, that's, that's why. They're doing it on purpose. Yeah. But hey... We did score 12 runs without you in the lineup, Brendan. That's, That's pretty impressive. kind of remarkable. It, it really was. I don't think we scored more than 12 all season. All season. No. Maybe combined. <laughs> For our other games? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we finished the season 0 and whatever we finished. 0 like and 0 however 10. many games were played. Yeah, and uh, not good. Well, we got another season coming up in July. And it will not be with that team. It will not, unfortunately. Though, I will say, great camaraderie. We stayed together. It, by the end of the season, we're retaining our manager because that was a quality season. Kept the yeah. clubhouse together despite the losing Right for our softball team. We're not talking about the Baltimore Orioles, which we are going to right now, Brendan. Thank Can goodness. transition over to the Orioles? I think we should. Okay. Well, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Grayson Rodriguez's injury in just a little bit, what that means for the Orioles going forward. We're also going to talk about Dean Kramer coming back up to the big leagues, where he could fit in with this Orioles team in 2022, and also Jemai Jones with the news that he has been uh, cleared waivers, cleared unconditional release waivers, and he is out of the organization. Could he return? But first, Brendan, let's talk about the good news on the Orioles farm system, and that's the fact that Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, two exciting infielders at the Bowie level, have been promoted up to AAA Norfolk. Yeah, they've been moving together pretty much for their entire professional careers so far. Kind of interesting that they still move up to AAA Norfolk together. I thought there was going to be a point, and truthfully, I thought it was going to be when Jordan Westberg gets promoted a little bit before Gunnar Henderson, because Jordan Westberg is 23, Gunnar Henderson is 20. So I thought Westberg was going to get the call before Henderson, but here we are where Gunnar Henderson has changed the plans entirely yeah. and now becomes the youngest player in AAA. He is the only 20-year-old in AAA. Across not just the Orioles, AAA. The, yes, <laughs> across, across AAA. the league. I think if the Orioles had to map out a plan for 2022 and just going off the information that they knew, I think they probably would have planned to have Jordan Westberg in AAA before they had Gunnar Henderson. You're looking at it, and you're saying you can't promote Jordan Westberg and not promote Gunnar Henderson. Right. Because Jordan Westberg is three years older, as you mentioned. But look at the numbers that Gunnar Henderson was putting up 
hitting 312. He had an OPS of 1.025. So he was absolutely mashing. You couldn't promote the guy who was three years older simply because he was older and not promote Gunnar Henderson because he was hitting the cover off the ball. Right. And with Henderson, like I said, I just, I can't imagine that this was the plan to have him be the youngest player in AAA. When you look around the league, he is ahead of some of the top prospects in baseball. Yeah. I mean, the number five overall prospect, Anthony Volpe, the shortstop for the New York Yankees, is older and in double A and not playing as well. And now Gunnar Henderson at triple A joins some 21-year-olds towards the top of the prospect rankings. Riley Green, the number two prospect in baseball, he is 21 years old at AAA. C.J. Abrams is at AAA as well, but he's also 21 years old. He's the number six overall prospect in baseball. So Gunnar Henderson, I think right now he's still in the 40s of MLB Pipeline's top 100. You would have to imagine that if they were to continue to modify those rankings, that Gunnar Henderson would be up a lot further higher on that list than what he is right now. Yeah, he was always young, even since he was drafted, taken over slot in the second round back in 2019. Second pick after Adley Rutschman. I believe he was 17 when he was drafted or was had recently turned 18. So he was always on the younger side. And when they took this guy, he was viewed as a project. He was viewed as raw potential, but he still had a ways to go before he was going to be even close to a big league hitter. He's made all of the adjustments. There was only the brief moment in 2021 when he was promoted to Aberdeen. And for his first 30 or 31 at-bats, he really struggled. And that was the only blip he's had in his professional career. Other than that, he has been dominant. And he started out this season on fire. The 1.02 OPS that I mentioned, eight homers. He also, by the way, had 12 stolen bases and only caught twice on the base pass incredibly toolsy and triple a is going to be an adjustment i'm not expecting him to come out and hit 300 with an ops over one at triple a but he certainly deserves to be there after being just 20 years old and he's going to turn 21 later this month yeah and by all accounts the defense has really improved yeah i mean we went into this year and have talked about Gunnar henderson in the past as he continues to get older grow into his body a little bit more fill out add some muscle we've kind of always just pegged him as a third baseman, yeah, because we assumed that he was going to grow out of shortstop. But Gunnar Henderson continues to play a quality defensive shortstop. He's just not growing out of the position. And it seems like now, if the Orioles want to play him at third base, he is talented enough to do so. But they can keep him at shortstop if they want to. And the fact that he has gone through double A as a solid defensive shortstop indicates to me that the defense is going to play at AAA and at the major league level. I think if we were going to see Gunnar Henderson move positions permanently, we would have seen it by now. I think you got to keep that door open as long as possible. And for the Orioles, that means playing Gunnar Henderson at shortstop as much as you realistically can. And we talked going into the season about the sort of log jam that Bowie had in the infield between Joey Ortiz, Gunnar Henderson, and Jordan Westberg. And here's how it ended up shaking out after both of those guys in Gunner and Westberg are promoted. 38, uh, at third base, excuse me, Gunner played 27 games. So he played the most games at third base of the pair. Uh, Westberg played just 16. At shortstop, Gunner played 18 games. Westberg played 13. So Westberg ended up playing fewer games at shortstop than Gunner did. The difference here is second base. Gunner has never been viewed as a second baseman. Westberg has that defensive versatility. So Gunner did not play any games at second. Westberg played 16 at second. So Westberg almost exactly split up his reps between third base, shortstop, and second base, which is incredibly impressive. And that's going to be great to have somebody who can play all three of those positions. But almost as impressive is the fact that Gunnar Henderson played 18 games at shortstop as opposed to 27 at third base. Because you would have to imagine, I think for Gunnar Henderson, he falls into a little bit of a different category than Jordan Westberg. I think once Henderson gets the call to the majors, he is your everyday starter at one particular position. I could see Jordan Westberg maybe getting put into a, he's starting most everyday utility role type of play, like a Ramona Reyes, yeah, where he's pretty much starting most games, 
but sometimes he's at second, sometimes he's at third. And with Westberg, maybe you can put him at shortstop as well. Ramona Rios is an everyday starter right now for the Orioles, but he just plays multiple positions. I could see Westberg fo- falling into that mold a little bit more than Henderson, who I think is going to have one position and lock it down. I think the difference, though, is that Westberg appears to be a legitimate shortstop, whereas the Orioles seem to have... whether it's because Jorge Mateo has locked down shortstop and played excellent defense there or not, they appear to have stopped using Ramon Arias almost entirely at shortstop because his primary positions are third base and second base. They think that's where he's going to play the best. Right, and that's where Ramon Arias provides you the most value at this point because he's just not great defensively at shortstop. And if Jorge Mateo needs an off day... right. You would rather not put Ramon Arias there. You'd rather get him reps yeah. at third base. So that's why I like the comparison with Arias, but keep in mind Westberg has much higher ceiling defensively than Arias does. Right, and it, it, it could be a situation where maybe Gunnar Henderson is your everyday shortstop in a year or two, and Jordan Westberg is your everyday second base, third base, and then when Gunnar Henderson needs an off day, you could just bump Jordan Westberg to shortstop. So let's talk about where this puts both Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg in the conversation when we talk about Baltimore call-ups, because now you have both these guys called up to AAA. I look back at last year when Adley Rutschman got called up to AAA Norfolk in August, and it was August 10th, I believe, is when he played his first game in AAA Norfolk. Both these guys are now plus two months. They have two months extra time in Norfolk, and obviously Adley did not debut until this year. So... He was not, did not play enough games in Norfolk in the organization's eyes to get the call up in September to Baltimore. Now that these guys have a two month head start, does that mean that we could see one or both of these guys in Baltimore by season's end? I still think Westberg is a lot more likely, even though Westberg has not played as well as Gunnar Henderson has so far. Just for the fact that Gunnar Henderson is still 20 years old. And it would be incredibly surprising if he entered this season with any sort of plan in mind to get him to the majors. Now, obviously, that plan can change. Maybe the plan going into the season was that if Gunnar Henderson plays well enough, maybe he is an August call-up to AAA Norfolk, similar to Adley Rutschman. But Gunnar Henderson, too, I think still has a few more question marks than Jordan Westberg. Westberg is a little more well-rounded, just kind of consistently good in every aspect. Gunnar Henderson has been excellent. The one concern are his splits against left-handed pitching, which he is still really struggling with. He has faced left-handed pitchers in 22 games at AA Bowie this year. He is hitting 147 in those games and has slugged just 177. Now, he does have a 326 on base percentage against left-handed pitching this season, which is good. He struck out nine times, walked seven, so he's still seeing the ball well against left-handed pitching. He's just not really doing any damage against it. And once Henderson gets to AAA, he's going to face better left-handed pitching, so I think that's going to be a big box to check because he needs to hit better than 147. He needs to slug better than 177 against left-handed pitching. But even with those bad splits against lefties, he still... His numbers are still excellent overall. And they're much better than Westberg's. I mean, keep in mind, Jordan Westberg had an 817 OPS. So, if you're comparing the two, I mean, Gunner had an OPS almost 200 points higher. So, even with those left-handed splits... I think that there, while there are, that is a pretty glaring hole when it comes to Jordan Westberg, or Gunnar Henderson's game, excuse me, and Jordan Westberg doesn't have any glaring hole. He, Like you said, he's got a 50 or 55 grade tool across the board for all five tools. He doesn't quite have the superstar kind of tool that might get him over the top. And it, just being solid across the board... That may work better in AAA. It may not. Gunnar Henderson might have more success in AAA. And then we're to, we could be talking about the same type stats where Gunnar Henderson, by September, has an OPS much higher than Jordan Westberg. Are you going to give Jordan Westberg the call-up simply because he's three years older when Gunnar Henderson appears to be a much better, much more developed prospect at that point? Well, my only point there being that if you are looking at what each of these guys need to do to get to the majors. Yeah. 
I think Jordan Westberg just kind of needs to continue to be consistent, right? I mean, over the, his last 10 games, Westberg has been excellent. He's had an OPS of 935. He has gotten better after a slower start to the season. He plays really solid defense at three different positions. I think for Westberg to be a valuable piece to the Orioles down the line this year, he just needs to continue to show at AAA Norfolk that he can have around the same OPS that he had at AA Bowie. If he's sitting somewhere around the 800 OPS range and playing solid defense at three different positions, I think Jordan Westberg then doesn't really have any holes that you can point to aside from just consistent improvement across the board to be what you're looking for at AAA Norfolk. Whereas with Gunnar Henderson, I think his splits against left-handed pitching are such a is such a glaring hole at this point that it would be hard to promote him to the majors if he's continuing to hit 150 against left-handed pitching and slugging below 200. It, it needs to get marginally better. Maybe, but if he's still putting up ridiculous numbers, then I don't know if that's going to be a huge concern. I agree with you. I don't, but I don't think it's hard to say. Like, I don't think it's it's hard to say he deserves a promotion if he has an OPS of like 990. <laughs> I, I agree with you there. But the point being, if you're calling him up to the majors, are you willing to call up a player that you might need to take out relatively consistently against left-handed pitching? Because I, you you can't put a Gunnar Henderson in a lineup right now against a left-handed pitcher, certainly not at the major league level. Here's what I would say, though. What if Jordan Westberg hits 247 in AAA Norfolk? Are you calling him up over... Gunnar Henderson. Like I mean, if the, these the batting the average. Same. I mean, the batting average. You can debate if the OPS stays around 800, 850, and he's playing solid defense across the board, and his splits are relatively even as they have been. There's not really a glaring hole there. No, but he could still come up to the majors and struggle from against righties and lefties. Absolutely. So I, I think you know you have to just determine simply because there is a, a glaring hole right now for Gunnar Henderson, if that continues in Norfolk, but still, if he's mashing right-handed pitching significantly more than Jordan Westberg is, Jordan Westberg could come up and struggle against righties and lefties. Right, <laughs> which is totally fair. I just think that once Henderson gets to AAA Norfolk, I don't think the numbers against right-handed pitching is going to be so overwhelmingly dominant like it was in AA Bowie. There's a chance it is. There's a chance that Gunnar Henderson was just that good against right-handed pitching that the numbers are going to translate to AAA as well. But he was so overwhelmingly good against right-handed pitching in AA that it really overshadowed his numbers against lefties. And if those numbers aren't as good as they were at the level below then his struggles against left-handed pitching yeah. start to come out a little bit more. What I will say is uh, something that I was not predicting was that Gunnar Henderson would be stealing 12 bases in two months in double-A buoy, whereas Jordan Westberg only stole three bases, wasn't caught at all. But having four times as many stolen bases as Jordan Westberg is another tool that I didn't know Gunnar Henderson had in his tool bag. I know that he had speed, but... To be able to steal 12 bags like that, I think, is impressive. He would be on pace to steal about 25, which is what Ryan McKenna stole in AA Bowie back in 2019. So that is something that I think makes you add that to the equation, and that's another area of his game that he has a box checked over Westberg. He does, and we have seen a ton of improvements from Gunnar Henderson this year as well. I mean, he ended his tenure in double-A buoy with more walks than strikeouts. Yeah. And last year, the kind of the big thing with Gunnar Henderson, similar to somebody like Kyle Stowers coming into the year, was that they had to cut down on the strikeout rate yeah. because their swing was so lofty and had a ton of power to it that they were striking out at a rate that was just way too high. And we have seen Gunnar Henderson make pretty unbelievable strides this year in that department. Same with Kyle Stowers. Yeah. He's another guy who has made fantastic strides in that area. So I, I'm not trying to sit here and say that Gunnar Henderson has A, not been excellent, and B, doesn't deserve a promotion this year to the majors if he continues to absolutely mash AAA. I'm just saying that you can't really call him up to the majors if you know you can't play him against left-handed pitching. And I think if we see some improvement in that area at AAA... 
there's really nothing stopping him. I think this is a fascinating thought exercise because Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, both of these guys were, one was the second round pick, one was the very end of the first round, really, 30th overall. Both taken similar spots in the draft, but the Orioles took vastly different approaches in both of these guys. With Gunnar Henderson, he was an overslot prep bat that they swung big on and thought this is a developmental guy. Jordan Westbrook, an incredibly safe pick. A Mississippi State infielder who had was solid across the board, and you were just hoping that his ability to develop each one of those tools individually would make him an, enough of a solid player to develop him. So two radically different approaches when the Orioles took both these guys, and now we're seeing how it's working out. And so far, they've hit on both of them. So far, both paths have led to success, and we'll see if that continues in AAA. But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, which one has more success in AAA and which one gets the call up sooner, which one has more of a long-term future in, in the bigs. Well, and you need both of those kinds of players in your system. Yeah. Gunnar Henderson has star potential. Gunnar Henderson has the potential to come up and be an all-star type of player if he continues to develop at the ridiculous rate that he is developing. Jordan Westberg was never really pegged as somebody who had all-star superstar potential. You just knew exactly what you were getting from Jordan we Jordan Westberg. Right. And that's not to say that he can't turn into a star player. That's not to say that Jordan Westberg can't make an all-star game. But you knew what you were getting with Westberg, and that's what he's shown. Just consistently good play across the board. So I think this begs the question, now that you have both these guys called up to AAA Norfolk, where are they going to play? I already talked about the positional breakdown in Bowie. It's a different equation because Norfolk has a very different roster. You look at the guys that they already have in place in that infield. They have Ryland Bannon, who bounces back and forth between second base and third base. You have Richie Martin, who's pretty much the everyday shortstop for trip, for AAA Norfolk. You have Tyler Nevin, who's currently in Baltimore, but has bounced back and forth between Norfolk and Baltimore. He can play third. He can play first. He can play a corner outfield. And then you have Patrick Dorian, who pretty much exclusively has been a first baseman this year after playing shortstop, second base, and third base in AA Bowie last year. Are you going to have to push some guys up to the big league level in order to clear out some space, or are you going to find other ways to clear out some space in Norfolk? Uh, you're going to find ways is the important part. Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg are going to get reps at AAA. Yeah, they are going to start every day. Their development takes press priority over it doesn't, Patrick Dorian, over Ryland Bannon, over Tyler Nevin. Their development is key. It doesn't really matter who they bump out. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have the discussion about who gets bumped out. People are getting bumped out for Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. Right. They will be starting every game. Tyler Nevin, I'm not too worried about because I think Tyler Nevin is at the very least, it seems like going to be a Ryan McKenna type where he will be back and forth or he will be at the majors more often than AAA. So I'm not really working him into the equation all that much. And I think if you wanted to work him into the equation and you wanted to make sure he was getting reps at AAA consistently, you'd probably just want to make sure he's getting at-bats. So Tyler Nevin could pretty easily be DH'd at yeah. AAA North. Or just play occasionally at third. In, or a, and an occasional third base. Yeah. Right. I think the only other prospect at AAA that makes a difference in terms of reps is Ryland Bannon. Yep. Because he's somebody that we've already seen at the major league level. He is a top 30 prospect type of player. You still want to make sure that you're getting Bannon reps here and there, yep. whether that's at second base or third base, you probably want to get him reps in both places. So I think Bannon will stay in the lineup. I wouldn't be surprised if Bannon and Westberg are on some kind of rotation where if one guy is playing second, the other guy plays third. And if Gunnar Henderson is playing third, then maybe Westberg plays short and Ryland Bannon plays second. The guy that that naturally bumps out is Richie Martin. Richie Martin is hitting over 290 at AAA. He's hitting 296 with an 829 OPS for the Tides. Those aren't excellent numbers, but those are very good numbers. Richie Martin is also three years younger than Chris Owings, who is the current backup shortstop at the majors and is hitting 107. Yeah, with a five with a 397 OPS. With a 397 OPS. You just called up 
two shortstops to AAA Norfolk who need reps. Your shortstop who is currently there has major league experience. The shortstop who is currently at the majors is not playing well at all. Yep. Easy math. Yeah, Richie Martin's 27. It's now or never. Time for Richie Martin. He could get a final look in Baltimore, and frankly, I I think he deserves a final look. And hitting 290, now he only has one home run. That's not impressive, but he should be hitting 290 at 27 in AAA. So those are numbers he should be putting up, and I think the Orioles probably will give him one more shot. They gave him a shot last year, and he did pretty well in a small sample size in Baltimore last year. Health has obviously been, been a big issue for Richie Martin, but I think you got to give him one more look because otherwise, you're bumping him out. What are you doing? You're just removing him from the organization? I don't think that's worth it. You've already given him all these games and all these opportunities as a former Rule 5 draft pick. I think you give him one more shot in Baltimore. Chris Owings is on this roster right now because of his positional versatility. Yeah. He can play shortstop. He can play the outfield. If you call up Richie Martin, you have a backup shortstop, and you have a fourth outfielder in Ryan McKenna and a fifth outfielder in Tyler Nevin. Exactly. So, yes, that's more roster spots that you're taking up there. Chris Owings, the the ability to play all those positions in one guy was different. However, but the point being that if you need an outfielder, you right now you, you are turning it. to McKenna yeah. or Nevin. Yeah. If you need a backup shortstop, right now you are only turning to Chris Owings, which can very easily be Richie Martin. And we've seen the Orioles get incredibly creative when it comes to these pitchers because you talk about you know, needing enough pitchers on your 26-man roster, what they've been doing is guy throws two or three innings of relief, he's back to Norfolk. They they send him out immediately, and they call somebody else up in a day or two when they need somebody. So they've been good about using these options and making sure that they're not having somebody idly sitting on their 26-man roster who they know they can't use. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen the roster move already for Richie Martin to get promoted to the majors because... I mean, what are you doing at AAA with Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, and Richie Martin? Not that Richie Martin's development would take priority over Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, but at least the hope with Richie Martin was that you would get get him enough reps at AAA that he could turn into yeah. somebody at the majors who is a solid defensive backup. The, the move could come today. I think Chris Owings is still on the bereavement list, so he's not taking up a roster spot right now. The Orioles could still make that move with Richie Martin. He's also not on their 40-man. So they would have to select his contract and potentially remove Chris Owings, remove somebody else on that 40-man. So that's the thing that's holding them up. The other thing that I'm thinking about, Brendan, when I'm looking at that Norfolk roster, let's say you even move Richie Martin up and you still have a Ryland Bannon, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westbrook's sort of infield. Patrick Dorian is at first base and he's hitting 154 and he's 26 years old. And... Again, two months is not a whole lot of time. But is could Patrick Dorian find his way out of the organization at some point soon? Because 154 is simply not good enough. 26 years old, you would hope that he would have better numbers. And now that he's pretty much exclusively a first baseman, that removes some ver- defensive versatility. I think if the Orioles need that spot in Norfolk, Dorian could find his way out of the Orioles. He's just not high on the priority list. No. Because when you need to get guys reps... It's not going to be Patrick Dorian at this point, especially if he's not playing well. Yeah. So if the answer to how do you get Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg more at bats is do something else with Patrick Dorian, then that's kind of what the thing. You, that's <laughs> what you have to do. There's just really no way around it. Right. And I think that the Dorian conversation becomes more important if the Orioles don't have room for Nevin at the big league level right because then Nevin is going to have to be getting reps at first Nevin takes the priority yeah and this is the good problem that you run into as more and more of these prospects are getting closer to the major leagues you need to make sure there's not only room for them at the majors which is something we're going to talk about in a few minutes yeah but there needs to be room for them at the levels they're getting promoted to I mean we talked about it a few weeks ago when Cesar Prieto got promoted to double a buoy Rightfully so, deservedly so, he earned that promotion, but you needed to find room for Cesar Prieto at AA Bowie, and the promotion of Jordan Westberg will help Cesar Prieto get more reps at second base. So I think we both agree that Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, it is at least on the table for them to debut in 2020. Absolutely. Not guaranteed, and we don't know when, they would have to stay healthy, all that stuff, but it's on the table. 
However, we think that that's probably not going to come for a while. If it comes, it'll come in September, September. Maybe late August if they absolutely crush it. We were both, like many Orioles fans, very much looking forward to Grayson Rodriguez's big league debut. On our last podcast, we said that it was getting awfully close to Grayson time, and it sure was. And Michael Elias pretty much acknowledged that. All of that has taken a backseat in the meantime, as Grayson Rodriguez unfortunately suffers a grade two lat strain, which is going to keep him out of action until at least September. Now, Michael Elias kept the door open for him to pitch again this year. He didn't say he's shut down, but the priority is clearly opening day 2023 if Grayson Rodriguez is going to make his debut soon. Yeah, I I don't see him pitching in September if that's the earliest that he can come back. I don't see any point in pushing it to that point. But like you said, Paul, it's really unfortunate because I think Grayson Rodriguez probably gets two more starts at AAA Norfolk. Maybe not even. Maybe not even before he gets promoted to the bigs. Luckily, Michael Elias did not seem concerned about the long-term impacts of this injury. He's not getting Tommy John. He is yeah. not having surgery on his arm, on his elbow, on his shoulder, on his shoulder, anything like that. So Michael Elias is not concerned about the long-term impact, which is great. Yeah, and it's not a grade three strain where the muscle separates from the bone, which is just terrible, and that often requires surgery. So in terms of long-term, it's simply a muscle strain, and it's a big muscle strain, and that's why you lose uh, the amount of time that you do. But like you said, Brendan, it's more of a short-term thing that he should not have long-term. We're not talking about this in four or five years. Right, and we've seen some like tweets and comments and things like that about this not happening if he was at the majors already. You never, like, it's an injury. I, that's a you, weird hypothetical that you would never yeah, actually be able to find out. no way to know. Right. Yeah. So for Grayson Rodriguez, it's just thankful that it is not an injury that will have... A, very long-term impact it's not a Tommy John so for Grayson maybe we see him opening day I think that's I think that's the thinking yeah by opening day do you mean opening day opening day I mean opening day day on the roster I mean opening day opening day because John Means will not be healthy if John Means were healthy then John Means would be your opening day starter but there is a possibility yeah that Grayson Rodriguez not but not for the fact that there's not talent in this starting rotation, but just for how good Grayson Rodriguez is. There is a potential that he is the best pitcher on this Orioles team going into spring training next year and could be the opening day starter. He'll be, what, 23 years old at that point? 23 going on 24, I think. So that's a lot to throw on a kid who's that young. Come on, Grayson to Adley opening day. It's exciting to think about. Maybe the Orioles do what they did back in 1992 when they said, uh, we're going to give the ball to veteran Rick Sutcliffe on opening day at Oriole Park at Camden Yards instead of the youngster Mike Messina. So, you know, I I don't write that in I'm not going to write it, but man, would it be fun. But it would be very cool, and that conversation's a long way off. But I, I agree. I think that he's now on a path that Adley Rutschman was a year ago. Unfortunately, you know, for him, it's because of injury. But he is probably going to, if everything goes well with his rehab and whether or not he makes a couple starts in Norfolk in September, he's going to be in Baltimore most likely in April of or late March or whenever the season starts of 2023. Well, it's kind of ironic how similarly the timelines are going for Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman, not in terms of the actual time, but in terms of events. Grayson Rodriguez was at AAA Norfolk, proved pretty much everything he needed to prove, got very close to making the Orioles roster, gets injured, it gets pushed back. We'll probably see him on the Orioles roster as soon as he's healthy. Adley Rutschman proved everything he needed to prove at AAA Norfolk last year, was very close to making the roster, gets hurt. We saw him as soon as he was able. Yeah, it's it's very strange how, how that is lining up, we hope. No more setbacks, and we hope everybody moves up way faster. Because yeah. those injuries, especially when they occurred for both Adley and Grayson, right as they're about to get the call up, were a bummer. Uh, all right, so that begs the question, now that we uh, unfortunately have to wait for Grayson Rodriguez's big league debut, who is going to be the next high-profile prospect in the Orioles system to make his big league debut? 
couple names I'll throw out there, Brendan. D.L. Hall, Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, not nearly as high profile, but could he get the call? Other than that, I don't really see anybody who is going to be the next big name that is right on the cusp. Well, we talked about Henderson and Westberg. If they get called up, probably going to be August or September. Yep. So we're not really counting them in the very close to the majors call-up. Yep. Kyle Stowers looks ready. Kyle Stowers has been absolutely mashing the baseball. He had kind of a slow stretch, but over the last few weeks, I mean, the dude has been an absolute terror at the plate. He's ready, but where do you put him yeah. is the issue. If it's the same thing with if you wanted to call up Henderson and Westberg right now, great, who are you going to play him over? Because right now you have Arias, Odor, Mateo. They're all playing pretty well at this point. Maybe you could start one of them at third. But anyway, the conversation with Kyle Stowers is where do you, where on earth do you play Kyle yeah, Stowers? There's absolutely no spot. Because you are not benching Cedric Mullins. You're not benching Austin Hayes. You're not benching Anthony Santander. I think the only scenario in which Kyle Stowers gets everyday playing time is if one of those guys gets traded, we're pretty positive it's not going to be Mullins or Hayes. Or hurt. Right. Or somebody gets traded or somebody gets hurt. Maybe Anthony Santander gets traded, and that's the name we keep throwing out as a trade possibility because outside of an injury, there's nowhere for Kyle Stowers to go. Yeah, Stowers is 24. He's hitting 259 with a 356 on base. Pretty darn good. He's taking his walks. 918 OPS. 12 homers in 44 games. He just did a 437-foot homer in Norfolk on Sunday. I agree. I think he's ready, but I just can't find a spot for him. And no. even if you do try to trade Anthony Santander, what are you going to get back? He's got a 110 OPS plus, which means he's 10% better than the average player in terms of OPS. That doesn't give you a whole lot if you're a team that's looking for an upgrade. Maybe if you're looking for a stopgap, which is what... You know, some teams could be, but if you're looking for a, a fourth or fifth outfielder, odds are you're looking for somebody with center field versatility. Santander does not have that. Yes, but I think there are still teams that would find a lot of value in Anthony Santander. There He's a corner be. outfielder who's going to give you 20 to 25 home runs. I can think of a lot of American League contenders that need another outfielder right now. But I don't think, but it's different than a free agent conversation. I think they can find value in him, but are you willing to give up value to get him? I think you would give up some, but at this point, I think for the Orioles, you kind of have to take two sets of values into account. The first value is whatever you get back for Anthony Santander in a trade. Probably at least one top 30 prospect, not in anybody's top 10, I would imagine. Maybe a prospect in the 15 to 25 range Frankly, I think in that's their top lofty. 30. I think that's lofty. He's got just a... OPS is under 800. But I think it's important. His batting to get, average is in the 220s. But we're not talking about an Orioles 15 to 30 prospect ranking. Yeah. We're talking about around baseball. Jemai Jones was the Angels' eighth-ranked prospect when the Orioles traded Alex Cobb for him. But the, a starting pitcher has so much more value inherently than a corner outfielder. Right. So that's why I'm dropping the prospect ranking down 10 spots. So Anthony Santander maybe gets you a prospect in somebody's... 15 to 25. That's my guess. So that is the value that you're getting on one hand. The other value that you're getting is the spot that has now opened up for Kyle Stowers. So even if you aren't getting a ton of return for Anthony Santander, how much value do you place in the fact that you have now opened a spot for Kyle Stowers? Because that itself is inherently valuable. It is, but you that spot, I mean, what if let's say the Orioles make that trade and they send Anthony Santander to the White Sox, as we always predict, or some outfield needy team. And then Austin Hayes, you know, unfortunately, knock on wood, let's hope this doesn't happen, suffers a major injury and is out. Great, you just opened up a, a roster spot, and maybe you took 80 cents on the dollar for Anthony Santander because you were so desperate to open up a spot in the outfield for Kyle Stowers, and one opened up on its own. So yeah. I, I don't think that you should take less back in a trade or be extra looking to trade Anthony Santander looking to get 80 cents on the dollar for Anthony Santander simply because you want to give Kyle Stowers everyday reps. I, I would think agree. you've got to make sure it's a fair trade. 
And there have to be two to tango here. There has to be a team that is willing to give that up, and I just have a hard time finding a team. Maybe some kind of hole will open up on some big-time contender, and they need a player of this caliber. I would argue there already are. I mean, the Yankees right now are throwing out a combination of Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo, who are both playing very poorly. The White Sox have a ton of injuries in the outfield. They don't have any outfielders that are good fielders. That right there are two American League contenders that need an outfielder. Then, then why haven't we seen the trade already? Because it, It's a fair that, question. Because I think if, if Mike Elias got what he considered was fair value for Anthony Santander, I think he would have pulled the trigger already. Right, so you outlined kind of the worst-case scenario, which is you undervalue Anthony Santander yeah. in a trade. Mm-hmm. You don't get enough back for him that you could have, and somebody gets hurt, and now all of a sudden your outfield looks like Cedric Mullins, Kyle Stowers, and maybe a Ryan McKenna-Robert Newstrom combination. But the best-case scenario for these players is that is kind of what we're seeing right now, is that they continue to play well, they continue to stay healthy, and you don't have a spot for a top 10 prospect. That's the best case scenario with these players right now. That's okay, I think. Is it? I think you would, or more, it's way better, way better to keep a guy in the minors for too long than it is to bring him up too early. I agree, but Kyle Stowers has no PS over 900. I'm not saying you need to trade Anthony Santander this week or else you are going to continue to waste Kyle Stowers. He's had a few excellent weeks, and it's great to see improvement from him there. Kyle Stowers, once he gets promoted, deserves everyday reps because that's the pedigree he has as a prospect. And I think he has the potential to turn into a better corner outfielder than Anthony Santander. So if they are playing, if everybody at the major league level is playing well, are you going to keep that outfield knowing that Kyle Stowers is there, knowing that he is ready to play and knowing that he has the potential to be a better corner outfielder than what you currently have. He might not. He might not turn into as good of a player as Anthony Santander, but if you don't have room for him, you're not going to find out. I love Kyle Stowers as a prospect. Prospects are called prospects for a reason, and opening a spot in a big league roster by forcing a trade or by putting a little extra mustard on a trade to get it done can be dangerous because a bird in the hand is worth... Two in the bush. So Anthony Santander right now is a major league player. He's an everyday player. And he's, he's, a, he's a good player. He's a good player. He's still 27 years old. Again, I don't know how much teams are willing to give up for a player like that. The Orioles probably have, you know, a pretty high bar, like you said, for a trade. But there's a chance Kyle Stowers comes up and does not fulfill the promise that he has shown. And then you gave up a still young quality corner outfielder and maybe you took a little bit less because you wanted to open up that roster spot in order to open up a roster spot for a guy who maybe is not an everyday big league player. So, yes, I do want to see Kyle Stowers. I think that his he's ready. I think that I would love to, to see him be an everyday big leaguer right now. But I think you just got to be careful, and you can't force anything simply because you want to see something. And you have to consider the fact that Anthony Santander is still an everyday big league player, and he is still worth something, and you just can't... You you have to focus on getting good value if that trade is going to happen. And if there's not a good offer on the table, you say good process means we hold on to this guy. Right. I agree with you there that you don't want to force a trade. Anthony Santander, it's not like he's on the wrong side of 30. He is still a relatively young outfielder who has played pretty well. I am in no rush to trade Anthony Santander because if an injury happens, like you said, this conversation changes entirely. I just can't imagine that you would be content if you're Michael Elias with calling Kyle Stowers up as your fourth outfielder who occasionally gets some reps, maybe you start him at DH here and there. Yeah. You just can't really do that. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. Right. I think they're going to wait for either a good offer or an injury. And who knows if either of those things... You hope that an injury doesn't come, obviously. I think odds are, you know, one of those things will happen. And you obviously hope, like you said, it's a... would much, 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 much rather have a good offer for Anthony Santander and you'd be able to move him than an injury. You don't want to see Kyle Stowers' debut come at the expense of another player. Right. 
But right now, those are kind of your only two scenarios. And how long, how many Player of the Week awards is Kyle Stowers going to win before you are willing to force the issue a little bit more? Is my question. Good process. I think you got to keep good process. All right, let's talk a deal hall real quick. Yeah. Um, he's still building himself back up, and he is a 457 uh, ERA right now with AAA Norfolk. He's striking out almost 15 batters per nine, but he still has a 1.292 whip. So he's still not 100% ready. He just threw in the 70s in terms of pitches his last time out, 72. He has yet to go over 78. I think until we see him get into the upper 80s, like we were starting to see from Grayson Rodriguez, into the 90s, I think that's when we're starting to talk DL Hall time. But until we get there, I don't think we can look at ahead to DL Hall's debut. Yeah, my guess for DL Hall is maybe a month, month and a half. Yeah. I think we see maybe late July. I'd say five more starts at AAA Norfolk for DL Hall yeah. because the stuff is excellent, but the whip needs to be better. And like you said, the pitch count needs to increase as well. Yeah. So by quick maths, if he increases his pitch count per start by <laughs> three or four pitches, right now he's what, in the mid-70s? 72. 72. If he increases his pitch count by three, four, five pitches over five starts, that gets him much, much closer to where you need him to be pitch count-wise. Yeah, he did throw 78 a couple starts ago, so it has gone up and down. Right. So maybe he throws 81 his next time out. Maybe he throws 84. So. But there's a big difference between consistently having a pitch count in the 70s and consistently having it in the 80s and then consistently having it low 90s. Yes, exactly. So I think he's still, I would say, I agree, maybe five more starts. I'd say five. All right, uh... We have taken so much time talking about these prospects. Let's talk about somebody who's already at the big league level. Dean Kramer just returned, made his first start in Baltimore of 2022. Looked pretty good. Allowed a three-run homer in the first inning uh, to Andres Jimenez on basically a middle-cut changeup. And he said after the game he was pitching backwards for the first couple innings and then realized he didn't need to do that. So the Hall of Famer Jim Palmer said it on the broadcast as well that he was throwing the changeup for seemingly no reason. And the changeup is a pitch that has routinely gotten crushed by Dean Kramer in 2021. Batters hit 556 against his changeup at the big league level. He's not that he has to abandon that pitch. Don't throw it. But just focus way, way more on the four-seam fastball, which is a much better pitch, and the curveball. Right. It's like Bruce Zimmerman's fastball. Just, just stop. Yeah. Just don't throw it anymore. I mean, you can't abandon it. You can't completely abandon it, but throw it much less frequently yes. than you are. But Dean Kramer looks solid. I think you and I have, have said for years on the podcast that the stuff is there yeah. for Dean Kramer, and you just kind of hope that he can put everything together. I see no reason that Dean Kramer is not starting every five days right now. Yeah, might as well. He's right? 26 years old. And also, who else is there at this yeah. point? I mean, Grayson Rodriguez would have been the guy in probably two or three weeks. Grayson Rodriguez obviously is not going to be doing that. D.L. Hall, you and I just said, will probably take four or five more starts at AAA Norfolk if we had to guess. So I see no reason why Dean Kramer isn't starting every five days for the next however long it takes for D.L. Hall to get up here. Yeah, I mean, four and a third innings, three strikeouts, one walk. The command was better for Dean Kramer. And if you keep him in that rotation while you wait, also for Spencer Watkins to come back, the Orioles will have to make up their mind there. But, but even then, his I can't imagine that you would start Spencer Watkins over Dean right. Kramer. But maybe they want to stretch out this rotation, make it like a six-man rotation for a couple weeks. But who knows? We'll see what the Orioles end up doing there. But look, if you get Lyles, Zimmerman, Wells, Kramer, Bradish, you, you know, you have something to watch every every day. Yeah. Every single start there. I think that solidly makes you feel like you're probably going to be in most games. Yeah. With and you that have, starting rotation. You have four guys who are 27 or younger in Zimmerman, Wells, Kramer, and Bradish who are potential pieces of your future. Right. How to varying degrees with all of these guys, but you're at least looking for these guys to routinely improve every right. fifth day. And then you just have Jordan Miles who is a trade num, piece. Num, num. Is it, and he's, he's eating up those innings. Yeah. Uh, one more thing that I do want to touch on before we get out of here, Brendan. Jemai Jones uh, was placed on unconditional release waivers and cleared those waivers and has been released. I think that he comes back. 
I think the Orioles end up re-signing him on a minor league deal. Because he was injured when they placed him on waivers, they had to place him on unconditional release waivers. They couldn't place him on outright waivers. So that means that he had to have been out of the organization by the end of the waiver process. Just 24 years old. I know he was hitting 212 in AAA Norfolk, and I know our expectations for Jemai Jones have dropped dramatically over the past couple years, past year plus. However, you still want to bring him back because you still want to see if there's anything left there. Yeah, I mean, just overall a really tough break yeah. for Jemai Jones. I know he was struggling at AAA Norfolk, like you said, but he goes from somebody who you and I talked about as a potential everyday major league piece at second base to a fringe major league guy to now just completely out of the organization. Yeah. I would have to imagine that the plan is to bring him back on a minor league deal. I would be pretty bummed if that is not the plan <laughs> because I think Jemai Jones still has promise. He still has potential. I'm not shocked that nobody claimed him because of the injury, but hopefully Jemai Jones has gotten enough good coaching at the minor league level and, and whatever factors into it. Hopefully he is deciding to come back to the Orioles on the minor league deal because I think there is still potential there. Yep, I agree. All right, that just about does it for our podcast today, which you can listen to on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, any of their favorite podcast platforms. You can also watch it live every week on YouTube and on Facebook. Brendan, we are about a month away from the MLB draft in which the Orioles Ooh. hold the number one overall pick. I think going forward, we might start talking about some prospects that could be taken. Oh, we're gonna. At the number one overall pick. A lot of them are playing, finishing out their college seasons. Maybe uh, high school seasons. Maybe high school seat. Maybe done their high school seasons. Yeah. Maybe some of, names. of them have posted their stat lines on Twitter for the world to see. Now, who might you be referring to? Maybe Drew, Drew Jones. Drew Jones. Yeah, a lot of fascinating names here, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive into it. I think starting probably in the next week or so. So we're looking forward to starting those conversations. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Amy Jennings for producing today's podcast, and we will catch you next time.